Tell your children Not to do What I have done Spend your lives In saving misery In the house Of the rising sun that volume slider there very natural much like it was actually being used as a tool hello hello this is uh this is for all time episode whatever it's the newest one spent a little while uh i've been working on the other podcast um you should check that out but now i'm back i'm doing this as well uh we're gonna keep going with it I'm going to use this podcast right now, today, a slightly different format. I'm going to be taking you on a journey with me on the internet. It is almost 9 a.m. It is 8.59 a.m., Thursday, September 1st, 2022. And I'm just on Twitter. I'm just online. I uh, woke up a little early this morning, and so I'm just here. You're going to take a little trip with me as I look through the things that I would normally look through when I wake up in the morning and first crack at the internet. Um, I'm just going to go today until I have to get up and do something else, but who knows how much time that will be. So, first I'm just going to start off by moving the microphone closer to my face. How about that? Yeah. That's much better. Okay. I'm turning the gain up because I'm the only person to hear myself. There we go. Okay. So I'm on Twitter uh, 16 hours ago, and I said, need to make a big master list of live games you might not know people are just dumping money into. GTA O, Grand Theft Auto Online, counts now, I think. The earliest one is that is still... Mm. The earliest one that is still popping fresh is probably Warframe. 
Madden 2K, and the show are definitely on the list now. Uh, FIFA Ultimate Teams might have been a kickoff. And now I'm recounting this. I should probably have made that like three different tweets, but I guess what I was trying to say here was that um, in the world of video games, uh, video games have become uh, kind of like a few separate categories, but the, the, the biggest and fastest growing category of all is taking uh, either a property that you have had for going for a while or creating a new property that is essentially um, you know, a multiplayer game that you're going to be playing with other people that um, takes up a lot of your time and demands a lot of your time, right? requests a lot of your time, and uh, could take up as much time as you would give it. And we've had games like this for a long time that has expressed most of that category. They're MMOs. And uh, the MMO category of uh, video game taught the world at large a lot of the um, social behavioral patterns that can be ingrained into a video game at a mass scale. However, not yet implemented in the MMO was the uh, microtransaction purchase angle, which isn't, isn't a bad thing on its own necessarily. I mean, there's many ways and cases you can make that this is like a completely acceptable practice and it's totally okay. Nothing wrong with it, necessarily. Everyone wants, you know, we're not talking about horse armor back in 2006 here. We're like, this is all, this, we're talking about, well, I'll get there. Start with a game like Destiny, right? How about that? Destiny is probably the closest to an MMO that a first-person shooter has ever gotten. Um, I say that in a good way. Um, Destiny 2 is a game where you basically buy the game, and then you're going to, like, play it online um, kind of indefinitely with your friends until the new expansion comes out and you're going to pay the 30 bucks or 60 bucks or whatever and play it for another two years and then they'll bring out some seasonal content and add some stuff to it over the course of time. That's uh, it's another game that fits into this category of live games. Um, Grand Theft Auto now, I believe, does count as a live game um, in that uh, they now have like weekly rotating content that they're adding um, the best example I think of a live game I should have probably started with is Fortnite. Um, Fortnite changes their content like multiple times a week. And then even in the store itself, I mean, they're changing things daily. Um, and adding new content at a rate that seems preposterous, but I assume it's just to keep up with their, uh, consumer demand. Um, I think that the demand... Well, how about this? When Grand Theft Auto uh, Online first made its big debut, it definitely made money, but then they started to figure out ways to inject things into the game that could help it make a lot more money. And that was very successful. Eventually, they would even go as far to add actual video lotto, like an actual casino into the game. Although I think they did eventually like... Uh, limit the harm that could be done by reducing how much uh, cash you could actually put into it. However, uh, it's 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 um. I love that the crime themed game is the first game to really, in my mind, well, they all have in their own way, but it's very self aware of of uh, 
when you spend uh, when you spend real money to buy a cash in Grand Theft Auto Online, which I don't think is like it's less necessary than ever now with the game. I think you can make money very quickly to buy all your in-game items and whatever. But um, even they uh, make the joke that uh, cash therapy is fleeting. Spend wisely, and I, I always think of that every single time that uh, I buy anything in that game. Um, so weird when the gain's up all the way you can hear like every single noise in the house anyway what i was getting into was the the idea that um basically every game that's making money out there the 2k uh franchise of sports games for golf uh you know nba all that i mean everything that really is um taking off right now in the gaming world is a live multiplayer game that changes constantly that effectively invites you to transport yourself to another world which is um something i love to do i have loved to do throughout my life i think it's something that humanity needs escape from this horrible confusing reality that we live in mix of realities all our own, all our reality is overlapping um, and I think that we like to have our own little private voyages. And I think that's why a lot of people maybe even play these games, or I know, I do, play these games kind of as a solo experience to kind of um, maybe every once in a while like socialize with like a guild or something. But, you know, you got to dive into your own little world. It's all about escapism. And I think... Um, I guess if I was really covering the basics of how it entered video gaming, really, the loot box kind of, I mean, loot boxes were about to be banned by Congress there for a little while, but I think they backed off because the gaming industry backed off, like, even selling them. Um, but CSGO, uh, with their knives and all the weapon skins and stuff, that was a huge thing, and then TF2 even. back when, Actually, TF2 really is the beginning of a lot of this because TF2, Team Fortress 2 class, well, whatever you call that, is it TFC2? No, it's just TF2, right? Team Fortress 2 was a video game, a first-person shooter, um, class-based multiplayer. It was one of the first big PC multiplayer class-based shooters um, on the original, as a modification of the original Half-Life. The PC, uh, well, it was on a bunch of other systems too, but on PC, there was a marketplace inside that game where you could buy and sell the randomly dropped, at least at first, randomly dropped items from playing the game. And you had to play the game for, at, at the beginning, a very, very long time for these like items to drop. And then eventually they figured out, oh, that selling them would be a huge thing and that they could step away from the marketplace themselves. Valve, the developer of the game, created this huge marketplace where they could sell uh, Team Fortress 2 items, weapons, uh, pieces of equipment for your character. I mean, it was this was interesting at the time because this was buying and selling items that would actually change and impact the game itself, right? It was extremely bizarre because now pretty much every game makes it the standard that the things that you buy don't really impact your, at least in a multiplayer level, the balance of the game. Um, but at the time, Team Fortress 2, if you wanted a certain item or weapon or whatever, you had to, like, get it. You could probably pay money for it. Not too long. I mean, I'd have to look it up to tell you exactly when. But, man, incredibly fascinating. And um, 
it really is the origins of like where we are now because from tf2 and went to csgo and as soon as csgo hit that then you're talking about gambling for items and then really you're getting right back into uh like that machine gambling book that i've been reading lately um you're getting back into all the research um so basically this how about this let me let me back up one layer here two layers at least maybe um Imagine that people who work at a video game company used to work at a, a marketing company, and that person used to work at a, uh, a casino for their marketing, right? And someone down the chain figured out that they could apply all the same practices that they had applied to the video slots, pachinko machine world to video games. Why? Because... <laughs> It must have made perfect sense at some moment because at some moment the operators and manufacturers of these machines, of the video of video game machines, were also involved in the video slots world. Konami, uh, most famously, was basically uh, cannibalized just to be turned into a like license a property licensing machine for like video slots and pachinko machines. Totally, totally weird. There's a Metal Gear Solid um, pachinko machine out there, a series of them. I'm sure there's a whole room of them somewhere. <laughs> but swinging the other way, all of the practices that were learned in um, how to capitalize on someone's uh, wanting to escape a little time through a machine. Yeah, it's just, uh, we'll cover it at length. I want to have a panel of people on to talk about it so I don't just sound like I'm kind of going off on my own here, but. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. Everything from Star Citizen, well, I shouldn't say that. It's a potentially, it's, it's another aspect of life that we're going to have to deal with. That's, that's really the only way to say it. It'll become a bigger and bigger part of everyone's life. And you'll see why I chose to talk about it now in about a year or two, um, maybe four, uh, when everyone's talking about the metaverse and how everyone has finally decided to buy metaverse skins, not maybe the literal metaverse, like the meta Facebook metaverse, but somewhere in the virtual world, you will probably be buying a bunch of skins. And if I had a guess, it'll be Fortnite. When Fortnite, I think Fortnite is making a second, a big second round of, of social um, push. Um, and I think that when Fortnite re reaches its next peak, that a lot of people who are listening right now and saying like i don't even know if i would play fortnite we'll be buying skins at some point if you play games why because your friends will that's just not my opinion i i, I think if you look at the metrics fortnite is back on a new rise um but what do i know i'm just here on the internet so something else i was talking about um is going down that path and someone reminded me of star citizen uh beefus here at meaty sweat um he mentioned that um it's one of the few games they refunded now i have spent a lot of money on uh on uh, star citizen mostly as a way to figure out what the fuck is happening inside of it i don't think that anyone else has probably gone out on a limb and spend as much money as I have just to satisfy their curiosity, even knowing it's a bad product. I'm, I'm going in there knowing that this is to satisfy my curiosity. 
Oh, I just got a message here back. Beefa says, they sell it so well. When I finally looked into it, I bought the hype. The ships looked cool, and it was super immersive. YouTubers make it look like a playable game, lol. After a week, I felt like a mark. And I would agree, and that's basically um, Star Citizen in a nutshell, really. Um, yeah, and I, I think that... Uh, that's enough talking about it for now. I'm gonna cover it in a in a big way eventually. Um, but I have a gigantic stack of articles in front of me, and that is way more interesting than this. But before we get to that, even I'm going to share a little clip of you with you that I have not even listened to yet, but I know is going to entertain us both. Okay, here we go. Friday Yoke today RC Realty is currently offering this 130-acre track just to the north of the Southwest Florida Regional Jetport. With frontage on Daniels Road, it is in the land use plan as airport commerce. This 750-acre parcel is located on the northwest corner of I-75 and Alico Road. The acreage can be divided and is in the land use plan as industrial commercial interchange. For more information on these properties and others, call Harvey Youngquist with ARC Realty at 466-6686. Grandma, Mommy says that you was going to Cape Coral Hospital. Are you going to have a baby? <laughs> no, it's just a little surgery. Cape Coral Hospital's day surgery program is designed with your comfort and convenience in mind. Your surgery is performed by a specially trained staff. You have the security of our full-service hospital without the cost of staying overnight. Mommy, Grandma's home. Cape Coral Hospital Day Surgery Program. Watch. Yeah. That, this, this is a tape that I posted online about, um, on February 18th, 2019, back at Santa Fe. Um, it's for the 1986 Southwest Florida Offshore Power Butt Races. Now, I didn't know at the time, but this is part of a big, like, uh, series of races. And, uh, this video was recently, or clip of this video was recently used in, where is it? Uh, let me go in here. Yes, I'm, I'm telling you that a clip of this video was used in something. And it's, I'm about to tell you a couple times about this. <laughs> um. A clip of this video that I posted was used in the Netflix documentary Cocaine Cowboys, The Kings of Miami. And if I remember, it was somewhere like about 20 minutes in the first episode, something like that. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm just going to continue here since this is my video. Thank you. Listen and win, win, win. In Southwest Florida's biggest prize contest ever. Over $10,000 in free groceries from Super X. Plus a very special grand prize will be given away in the WeView TV Q96 FM. Watch, listen, and win game. Each weekday from now through July 11th, watch WeView TV between 5 and 8 p.m. for the super trivia question and answer. Then listen to Q96 FM the following morning for your chance to win. It's the biggest prize contest that's ever been on WeView TV. Watch, listen, and win. Win, win. Serving all of Southwest Florida, this is WeView TV. You know what that last ad looked like? I thought I'd even seen that. Just 
a few hours ago, this beach was deserted. The Gulf was calm and peaceful, but there's been quite a transformation in the past few hours. Now the beach is packed and the Gulf is stirring, and it's all for one reason. Welcome to WeView TV's coverage of the offshore powerboat races. <laughs> from Fort Myers Beach, the 1986 Southwest Florida Nissan Dealers 150 Offshore Powerboat Races. Brought to you by Harvey Youngquist with ARC Realty. And by the Cape Coral Hospital. everybody this is Chris Barnes working today along with Ernie Schmidt and we're here for a beautiful day of powerboat racing Ernie uh, how's it shaping up early on Chris it looks like it's going to be cat water inside and V bottom water offshore the winds are running about uh, 10 miles an hour uh, from the southeast which kind of lays the water down close inshore but the modified and the open class have got to make one long run offshore and they're going to run into some pretty rough seas out there it looks like Okay, Ernie, uh, working with us today will be Ben Benzinger, who will be working off the uh, pier, Fort Myers Beach oh, Pier. Oh, Jesus Christ, I forgot there was someone else with me. Sorry about that. Anyway, wow, powerboat races. Um, why was I? Oh, yes, of course. So, powerboat races. <laughs> that was used in a documentary, and so was... This. Uh, you can get five hundred dollars hmm. cash back from Nissan on. This one. In less than two hours, I'll be placing a new crown on a new Miss America, and on this very special. With thirty-one thousand seven hundred forty-four views, uploaded on April fourteenth, twenty nineteen. You're wrong about uh, the podcast. You're wrong about you. Uh, use clips of this and linked to it, I believe, in their. Um, I don't know, wherever you, in the notes, the show notes, is that what you call that? Anyway, I was going to play a little bit of this because wonderful audio. And I love it. It's a great video. There will be some 30 Miss Americas from previous years to cheer her on, including the first Miss America to be seen on television. This is the year that uh, Vanessa Williams won, by the way. Merriweather. This is the 30th live telecast of the Miss America pageant. So it's a double celebration, a television milestone and the return of Miss America pageant winners representing the past 50 years. What are they doing now? What do they look like? You'll see. I'm Debbie Mapp at Miss America 1983. Who will it be for 1984? I'll describe what they look like uh, and I'm Use your imagination. It looks like 1984. From the brightest spot on the Atlantic coast, the fastest growing resort city in America, new dazzling Atlantic City, where a romantic past meets a fabulous today. Exciting Atlantic City, where the ultimate in star entertainment attracts 25 million people a year. The home of the Miss America pageant has new spirit, new people, here to see the all-American pageant that started it all over a half century ago. The Playboy Hotel. Now, live 
from Convention Hall in Atlantic City, the Miss America pageant. With Gary Collins. Miss America 1981, Susan Powell. Miss California 1979, Deanna Fogarty. Special guests, Miss Americas representing 50 fabulous years of pageant history and starring the 50 1983 state representatives ready to go for it all. By the way, um, in, it's, we're in, they're seven minutes into the second quarter. Uh, UTEP is losing to Baylor, uh, six to thirteen. That works with the warmth of your shower to clean and moisturize your skin. And by McDonald's, where it's fun to be together. McDonald's and you. And by the Nestle Company. Nestle makes the very best. And by American Greetings, the right card for that special person. The 1983 Miss America pageant with Miss America 1981, Susan Powell. Go for it! Miss California 1979, Deanna Fogarty. Go for it! Lynn Osser and the Miss America Orchestra. Go for it! 30 Miss Americas who made the pageant world famous. Go for it! The Miss America Dancers. Go for it!
Wow. There's really no denying that, that it looks like they're barely just winging it, even though it's like the 455th Miss America pageant, which is very Thank strange. Thank you very much and good evening. The Miss America pageant's come a long way in its 63 years. It's okay, 63. more than just a television show. It's really live coverage of the finals of a major competition that's been going on all week here in Atlantic City. Now, there's tremendous excitement here, especially with 30 Miss Americas returning to the place where it happened for them, and where tonight that same magic will happen for another young woman. In less than two hours, her life will change dramatically. Now, since we last appeared in this hall, thousands of dedicated people in local and state pageants have been working all year round to send to us to present to you the finest representatives of every state. So tonight, we take a nostalgic trip into the past and look into a very bright future. When each of these young women left her home state, she was inspired to go for it. And that's just what they're going to do, starting here, starting now. So let's meet them. From Miss Alabama to Miss Wyoming, our official state representatives. One of them will be Miss America 1984. Miss Alabama, Pam Battles. My state pageant was held in Birmingham. <laughs> Miss Alaska, Jennifer Smith. My state pageant was held in Anchorage. Okay, I'm not gonna not gonna make you suffer all that. But uh, at the, it's funny at the end of this tape, I published this entire tape in its. Uh, let's get to. Okay, here she is. I published this tape in its entirety because the person who made it, whoever that was, I got it off eBay back in the day, recorded uh, an extra like news clip on the end of it, which I think is relevant. But first, uh, let's play a little bit of the end of this. Six of the brightest and loveliest young women in America are standing on our stage. One of them will be the new Miss America and the winner of a $25,000 scholarship. And our new Miss America is Vanessa Williams, Miss New York. Let me get some caffeine. By the way, uh, Vanessa Williams won. Yeah, I don't know if you just heard that. Miss America, maybe you four. She's, uh, she won. I think I can move the microphone here. Okay, I'll be right back. I'm gonna get some caffeine. Listen to him sing the song. It's not just a miscongeniality, it's real.
Oh, I need some caffeine. Isn't this fun? It's like you're just hanging out. You're hanging out with me. It's great. So, uh, I think we had enough of that. But, okay, headphones. There we go. Now I can hear my voice like you hear it. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, even less people will hear this than will see this tape. I have a junior... This is I got in a giant lot of videos on eBay. It is a tape. There's a recording of someone's junior prom from the Sacred Heart Academy in Hampstead, New Jersey. Um, Hampstead, New York, excuse me. May 15th, 1993, at 8 p.m. My dream is to... Find someone who went to this and talk to them. Because they'd be like, let's see, 93, did the math. They'd be like 50 now, 50 something. Anyway, take, uh, right? Anyway, take a look at this. Or, you know, you know what I mean. I'm going to do my, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to narrate this video. A, uh, we're in space. Okay. The words, my junior prom, uh, gradient from white to gold, top to bottom. We're talking like an old, no, we're talking like an old west. Like the font that you would use in Star Trek, right, for an old west saloon sign okay that's what we're, that's the font we're talking about we're flying through space remember this music is playing i'm gonna try this and I, I think we can do this i think you'll you'll see it all make sense sacred heart academy junior prom uh we're talking amiga graphics popping up puzzle pieces um Quickly, the theme is A Night in the City, Saturday the 15th of May, 1993, from 8 till 12 o'clock at Sacred Heart Academy, Hempstead, New York, junior class of Sacred Heart Academy. A Night in the City, May 15th, 1993, 8 p.m. We're just chilling. This is what I do. This is just the kind of stuff I get up to. It's the point of this podcast, by the way. This is a cherry Coca-Cola. I've been up for two hours. Why not? Okay, we're looking at um, some real nice black and white theme here. Black bow ties and all the chairs. Uh, black dressings here. We're looking at uh, looks like one, two, three, four, five, 
eight tops. We're looking at mostly eight tops here. Inside of someone's like school cafeteria converted, you know, to a prom mode. Looks like we got place settings here. We got students coming out of the limousine. I'll put the link in the thing so you can see it if you want. I'm not insane. All these kids getting out of the limousine. This is great. How could there have been that many kids in one limousine? Uh, we're looking at, like, some real, uh, fashion choices here of the era. Very appropriate. Everyone seems to fit. Everyone's having a nice time, it looks like. Skip ahead a little bit. A lot of kids getting out of limousines. Not a lot of editorial choices being made here. A lot more limousines. Oh, we have, uh, someone in crutches. How about that? Still showing up. Some real school pride there. See a lot of boutonnieres. Corsage or two. Descending from the bus. Oh, we got we got people coming out of like a uh, one of those tinted up bus TVs in them. Nineteen ninety-three. Look at these fashions. This is wonderful. I love this. Yeah. I wonder if they paid for this licensed soundtrack. I wonder if I have to. No. No, I don't have to, don't have to worry about that at all. <laughs> you know what I'm laughing at if you uh, watching it with me. Holy shit. That is that was a moment. Oh, those two aren't getting along. Sorry. Oh. Someone got out. Oh, no, it's one of the kids. I thought it was a parent. I saw some smooching in the back of that van. Let's keep moving. Let's just say that last limo, I'm surprised a bunch of smoke didn't pour out of it when these kids got out. They looked like they were down. Oh, we got some nuns here. Okay, they're all welcoming everyone. I love this. Wonderful. Teachers. Mm -hmm. Welcome to prom. Welcome to your prom. Oh my god. I'm at prom. It's basically the vibe. And then, uh, let's see here. I'm gonna hold the button down. I'm gonna turn this down. Because <coughs> that's live audio. There you go. Some real dope hairstyles for the era, I have to say. There's this one kid here in main frame here at uh, 1438. Very future forward. Let's see. You know, I think that's enough of that. But 
here is something else that I would love to share. If you're still here, bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Because we're going into my YouTube history and we're watching something I watched just a minute ago that you're going to love. And it's audio friendly. There anywhere. Call it what you will, the Minnesota State Fair is one of our oldest and most venerable institutions. For five generations, Minnesotans have taken part in this annual celebration. Part livestock exhibition, part commercial display, instant tomato juice, and part carnival midway. The fair has almost as many facets as it has exhibitors and visitors. For some, it's the just reward for a season's hard work. For others, it means the end of summer and freedom. One last celebration before winter descends. Whatever their reasons, Minnesotans love to boast about their fair. While we can no longer claim ours is the biggest, many say it's still the best. Fair boosters and it, it lives the on in my heart as the best. Charming sir. architecture and abundance of trees as a few of the features that make Minnesota's the fairest of the fairs. What's the name? Your name's Lily. But more important than appearances, the Minnesota State Fair has stayed true to its agricultural roots. Oh this, this is sweet. Incredible. It's still a real live harvest fair, organized and run by an agricultural society. It's this authenticity that distinguishes it from other fairs. The unique character of the fair is the product of a tradition that dates back some 150 years. It's hard to say exactly when the Minnesota State Fair first started, but as early as 1850, well before Minnesota became a state, agricultural fair. Hold on for a second. Don't you love the fact that when I pause the audio, I'm certain of this no matter what happens to any kind of transcoding, that you can now hear the lack of digital tape noise? <laughs> because I certainly noticed the absence of digital tape noise. Watch what happens to your ears when I press the space bar now. You'll notice that it's there if you did not, and it will be there. <laughs> and here's the thing. I have listened and watched so many tapes like this that it is it becomes invisible to me, but I'm wondering if it is uh, audible to the listener at home. If it is, send a message to me. And you know what? I just want to know if you're listening to it at this point, really. Uh, um it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, and you know what? If it bothers you, I, I'm still going to play a little bit more of this tape. I'm sorry. For the agricultural... This is my show. And not only is it my show, um, I love the show. It's fun. Become an annual institution in what was still a sparsely populated frontier territory. That time, there were fewer than 10,000 white settlers trying to eat out a living in the harsh climate of Minnesota. The early economy of, uh, of Minnesota was a kind of touch-and-go thing. Why, in a struggling community that's barely keeping its head above water, or maybe I should say above ice, 
uh, is there this drive for fairs. Um, they're not simply a matter of agriculture, although agriculture was one of the reasons they were held. If you go back and look at the record of who were the great instigators, the creators of fairs, by and large, they tend to be lawyers and uh, business community leaders, not necessarily farmers. If the fledgling territory of Minnesota was to grow and prosper, it would need to increase its population by attracting new immigrants. Business leaders seized on the idea of a territory-wide agricultural fair as a means to this end. One of the early innovations in Minnesota agriculture was the large-scale cultivation of wheat on the flat, fertile prairie lands south of the Twin Cities. And the fair became an instrument of marketing the availability of that kind of land. Uh, I'm looking through papers to read to you, by the way. Not this, I didn't forget about you. So... <coughs> Um, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you some things I read in the post. I'm in the mode of getting rid of a lot of these um, papers I have hanging around. And this is what I have right here. These are some things that I've been looking at, or I've seen in the the post, and you know which post I'm talking about. Okay. Three Dutch troops shot in Indiana. Three Dutch soldiers were shot early Saturday outside an Indianapolis hotel where they were staying, cops said. Police found the men with gunshot wounds at around 3.30 a.m. in the city's entertainment district, the Indianapolis Star reported. Dutch officials told the Associated Press that one is in critical condition and the others were conscious. They said the three were from the Commando Corps of the Royal Netherlands Army and were in Indiana for training. No arrests have been made. New York Post, Sunday, August 28th, 2022. A beautiful jewelry designer who crisscrossed Europe, this is by Dana Kennedy, a beautiful jewelry designer who crisscrossed Europe for 10 years was actually a Russian spy who infiltrated NATO by charming and seducing commanders. She was known as Maria Adela uh, uh, Rivera, but her real name was Olga Kalabova, and she was a spy working on behalf of Russia's GRU Foreign Intelligence Service, according to the investigative site Bellingcat. Oh, props to them for getting uh, referenced here, which uh, used photo-matching software to out her. Rivera took up residence in Rome, Malta, and Paris before making Naples, Italy, her home base. She owned a jewelry boutique and talked her way into the city's international party scene, including soirees and balls attended by NATO officers, the outlet reported. 
So she spoke fluent English and Italian, and one unidentified officer told Bellingcat the two had a brief romance. A U.S. Navy officer said he had a little crush on her. Marie Adela told European friends she was born in Cayo, Peru, the illegitimate daughter of a German father and a Peruvian mother, Bellingcat reported. She claimed she had been abandoned in Russia by her mother and raised by an abusive family. Her single mother had gone with little Maria Adela to the Soviet Union to attend the 1980 Olympic Games in Moscow, she claimed. However, her mother had received an urgent message from Peru that required her to return home at once. She dumped the little girl, so the story went, in the care of a Soviet family that had apparent, she had apparently befriended. In 2012, Rivera, who was actually the daughter of a colonel in the Russian military, married a purportedly Italian man. He was in reality Ecuadorian and Russian, and he died mysteriously at age 30 due to double pneumonia and systemic lupus, according to the report. After his death, she settled down in Naples and began befriending NATO diplomats. Marcel Dargy Smith, the former editor of Cosmopolitan magazine, was one of her duped friends. She was like a goddaughter or niece. It was upsetting to find out, Smith said. She was very beautiful, very understated. She had lots of male friends, but they never seemed worthy. She was so attractive, and the men looked ordinary, and I never understood it. <clears throat> Colonel Sheila Bryant, then Inspector General of the U.S. Naval Forces in Europe and Africa, had been suspicious of Rivera's story, Bellingcat said. She told colleagues to limit access to highly confidential military information around her, According to the report, then in 2018, Rivera abruptly left for Moscow, and her friends in Europe haven't seen her since. Bellingcat theorized her cover had been blown in some way by outside intelligence services. The Bellingcat investigation was conducted with the help of Der Spiegel, the insider in La Repubblica, over the course of 10 months. The information came from open sources, publicly accessible archives, FOIA, data from Peru, leaked Russian databases, and interviews with people who had unsuspectingly become close friends with the Russian spy. NATO did not respond to messages seeking comment. I'm sure there's more about this out there, but that's pretty much as much as I like to know. Don't want to know any more about that. Um, same day viewership. That's what I was looking at here. Yes, look at this. Um, this is in the, uh, let's see, the post business here. House of the Dragon, the, the you know, kickoff episode, was a streaming hit as the Game of Thrones prequel drew twice the same day viewership of Netflix Stranger Things. So that means that twice as many people uh, consumed that than Stranger Things, even though Stranger Things set like amazing uh, like first day like watch records for Netflix. And they released the numbers for that. So it's uh that's incredible. I still haven't seen it. I think there's actually two episodes out now. I'm just uh I'll get there. Wow. Okay. Which one is it? Hmm. 
Travis Scott is hosting a reputation rescuing stunt. Sorry, a school supply giveaway. I'm reading the editorialization here. Remember, context is everything. In his hometown of Houston today, last year 10 people died of injuries sustained while the rapper was on stage at his Astroworld Festival in the Texas town. The crowd screamed for him to stop the show, but he has since claimed he couldn't hear their pleas. Now, Scott is showing his generous side, as opposed to his culpable homicide, that's literally what it says, by handing out back-to-school goods to 1,000 teachers. To recap, a rapper worth a reported $65 million is making overworked teachers schlep to some strip mall on a Sunday to give them goods that sh the state should be giving them anyway in a barely veiled attempt to burnish his image after allegedly playing a part in the death of 10 people, one of them a school-aged child. What a guy. It says, Earlier this year, Scott also gave away $110,000 scholarships in Houston in another conspicuously goodwill-generating effort. Scott and Live Nation are facing hundreds of lawsuits over the incident. I love leaving all the silence so we get time to think about everything. Oh, here we go. Uh, <clears throat> in case I needed to say that out loud. Um, this Soho work of art doubles as a home, and the magic loft has been price slashed to $4 million, down from its $5.4 million ask in February. The new deal includes an NFT of the spread. It will be a, quote, gift to the buyers, so the future owners can, quote, memorialize the unique space as a work of art before they make it their own, said Sirhant broker Katie Thurber, who is listing the co-op also at 112 Prince Street. The sellers are conceptual artist, director, and photographer Michael Somaroff and his wife Irina. At 2,500 square feet, the full-floor residence comes with three bedrooms. It was designed by Samaroff with the help of architect Stephen Wanta. Details include 13-foot beam ceilings and cast-iron columns. The space is also marked by floor-to-ceiling sculptures. The Samaroffs are selling to start a new chapter and, quote, massive creative projects in Spain. This is the part in other podcasts where they would offer their commentary or, or opinions on things, but I think it's more fun if you just kind of made up your own, that little blank spot, because I know you did already. Parents whose children were killed in the Uvalde school massacre played recordings of their dead kids outside Texas Gov. Greg Abbott's mansion as they demanded action on gun control. If we can't sleep... Neither can you, one parent screamed at the pre-dawn Saturday rally in Austin, the Huffington Post reported. In between the recordings, the parents shouted their children's names. These are the voices of our children. This is all we have left because you don't give a damn, shouted Brett Cross, whose son, Uzziah, was killed. 
May 24th at Robb Elementary School. The protest was part of a larger effort organized by the gun control group March for Our Lives, which is demanding Abbott reconvene the state legislature to raise the minimum age to purchase a semi-automatic weapon from 18 to 21. Guess he chose settling over winning. Charlie Sheen has settled a lawsuit filed by an ex in which he, she claimed the actor knowingly exposed her to HIV per TMZ. She has reportedly been awarded $120,000 in the deal. The plaintiff, known only as Jane Doe, claims she met Sheen in September 2015. He allegedly began having unprotected sex with the woman in October 2015 after assuring her he was, quote, fine when she asked if he had any sexually transmitted diseases. However, afterward, he confessed that he was, in fact, HIV positive. During an argument, he supposedly described himself as, quote, noble for informing her about his HIV status in the first place, adding that he didn't, he hadn't told her before they had unprotected, unprotected sex because it was, quote, none of her fucking business, according to court filings. That was the quote. None of her fucking business. Garbage person. Wow. I'll say the thought you're thinking out loud for you. There. I'll skip that. Okay. Yeah. I need to change it up a bit. Let's see out there. You get to pick two things. You're out there. Okay. If you listen to this podcast, I bet you I can pick which one you want in your head. So let's do this right now. You're listening at home. You get to pick. This is a choose your own adventure, and I bet you I'm going to get it right. Okay. An old-timer who doesn't want the MLB to change. That's one article. The other article, same writer. Um, It's about how the Padres owner says recently uh, recently, uh, exposed uh, banned substance user uh, Fernando Tatis of the San Diego Padres uh, he wants the player to know that he has his back, and he's saying this at a public press conference. Those are the two articles. One, an article about a man who is defending his player over a long period of time. You know, he's going to have this player for, uh, let's see, he has a um, 14-year contract, something like that. Yeah. There's no way you go, well, I'm going to pick the article. The old timer talking about baseball, the guy, um, old guy talking about baseball, complaining that ball isn't changing, right? I think you know which one we're going with. We'll come back to the other one, though. San Diego, see, I could read your mind. That shows 
how the show works. San Diego Padres chairman Peter Sadler is sitting quietly at his La Jolla, California home. Well, quiet as it can be with a three-year-old running around and a $340 million elephant in the room, remaining remarkably calm. His team made the biggest moves at the 2022 trade deadline, providing World Series hopes for every Padres fan. Barely a week later, the mood was anger, frustration, and despair. If the Padres aren't playing bad enough, losing 12 of their past 21 games going into Sunday, their newest star, Juan Soto, was sidelined for five days with a bad back. Then, there is Fernando Tatis Jr., the star shortstop. Tatis, whose season ended when he was popped for performance-enhancing drugs, addressed his teammates and the media this past week, speaking for about 45 minutes alone in a private meeting with Seedler. Quote, I have let so many people down, Tatis said at his press conference with reporters. Quote, I have lost so much love from people. I failed. I have failed all of them. I have seen how my dreams have turned into my worst nightmares. Seedler, the team's investor and grandson of former Los Angeles Dodgers owner Walter O'Malley, isn't going to sugarcoat it. He wasn't as incensed as general manager A.J. Preller. He wasn't as angry as several of the Padres players, but he was deeply disappointed. It's one, it's one thing to have your star player unavailable. Move this microphone. For the rest of the season. Extinguishing the grand vision of Soto, Manny Machado, Tatis, and Josh Bell in the heart of the order, but this is the face of the franchise. Quote, it was a significant body blow for him, for the organization, and for the fans, Seedler says, but yelling, screaming, breaking glasses, this wasn't going to help anything. In my experience, this can make you stronger and better. Seedler speaking to USA Today Sports for more than an hour never once expressed any resentment or bitterness towards Tatis. Quote, The wrong way to look at it is to be angry at a 23-year-old young man. We've had him since he was 17, Seedler says. He has grown up in front of our eyes. I know he's a good guy with a good heart, and he cares. Does Seedler regret signing Tatis for $340 million? No regrets, Seedler says. No, no, no. Fernando knows I have his back. There's no way you go into a 14-year relationship and think it's going to be a smooth ride for pure joy and happiness. Your eyes are wide open. There's going to be a mistake or hiccup. I knew that going in. It's a similar feeling in any long-term relationship. You're going to have your speed bumps. My expectation is that we got rid of a lot of these speed bumps here. You ask if Seedler... <laughs> you ask Seedler if he believes the Padres can make the playoffs, let alone have their first deep October run in a quarter century, and his confidence doesn't waver. Everybody knows we're in a dogfight, Seedler says, but if we keep controlling what we can control, the baseball gods are going to smile on us one of these years in a big way. Let's have fun and see where this goes. You ask Sealer if he trusts that Tatis never used PEDs until June when he was caught using Clostabol, an anabolic steroid, or that he actually used the steroid to clear up a skin condition and Seedler believes him. 
Fernando and I converted, excuse me, Fernando and I covered a lot of territory in our talk. There were no shields, nothing was off limits. Getting to see him face to face, seeing his body language, I was impressed. He owned up to it. He was very genuine about everything. It was real and authentic as you can get. I believe in him as much as I ever have. He's a young man who made a mistake. I'm a 61-year-old man and still make mistakes. But as long as you own it and you're the best version of yourself, I can accept it. I really feel like he's a really good guy down deep, and he cares a lot about his family and teammates, and that his actions going forward will more than back up his words. While Sealer can't stop companies like Adidas from terminating its relationship with Tatis, he makes it clear that they will stand by him, even if his suspicion costs the Padres a playoff berth. This is a team that's broken the hearts of fans for years. The Padres have failed to reach the playoffs in a full season since 2006 and have six postseason appearances in franchise history. But this year was supposed to be different. And after collecting some of the biggest prizes at the trade deadline, Soto, Josh Hader, Bell, Brandon Dury, missing the playoffs would make even San Diego a dreary place all winter. A team this talented shouldn't be clinging to dear life in the wild card race, praying for its closest challenger, the Milwaukee Brewers, to lose every night. The Padres want to win and will do anything to knock off their mighty neighbors up north in the Dodgers. They have the fifth highest payroll in baseball and could go higher. Soto could earn $60 million in the next two years in the salary arbitration, and if they want to ensure he sticks around, it'll probably cost a minimum of $500 million. We know he's with us for at least two more years, and we'll see where Juan Soto takes us, Sealer says. I do like what I see. He's such an impressive young man. The thinking is, let's enjoy it. Let's make sure we understand each other and what it means to hear. Who says the Padres can't act like the Dodgers or New York Yankees or Mets and sign whoever they desire? I do like the long-term contracts, Seeler says, so fans know that they can grow up with Tatis and Machado. That's what the Braves are doing right now. We wouldn't have signed these young guys up unless we believe in them. You look at Machado. No matter how you break it out, he's exceeded our hopes. Cedar is encouraged by their attendance, averaging 36,942 a game. That's great. Fifth in baseball, just behind the Yankees? That's wonderful. We felt if we spent money, the fans in San Diego would spend in bigger numbers, tickets, apparel, sponsorships, and show what's possible. We have massively increased our controllable revenue. It's off the charts good. Now, all that's missing is fielding a team to win the first World Series title in franchise history. There may be a time when Pod the Padres' front office, the players, and fans forgive Tatis. But it's going to take time. He needs to change and show he's all in, too. It's not about his statistics, his endorsements, or his video game covers, which was last year's uh, The Show. It's about helping make the Padres a championship-caliber franchise instead of the worst team money can buy. He finally agreed to have the shoulder surgery the Padres recommended a year ago and plans to spend the winter in San Diego rehabbing before spring training. While this is a blow, this can lead to a more positive relationship, Sealer says. Now it's up to the Padres to do the same and prove they're more than a beautiful Porsche with a Hyundai engine. We're not going away, Sealer says. My family is going to 
own this team for 100 years. We're set up now with a platform for success, and we intend to be good every single year. As written by Bob Nightingale in the USA Today. And, 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 and fuck me if that was not <clears throat> some extremely good sports writing. I mean, what do I know? But goddamn. And let me also add there that I am now convinced that sports news is entertainment news. And as we know, entertainment news is news, which means that all news is news, which means that I can read a sports news thing. And then, uh, oh, am I going to do it? Yes, I'm going to do it. This is how we're going to close out. This is how we're going to close out. I'm going to read the other baseball article. Okay. First, we need a little, little music here. A little baseball music. Let's see. We sat on the veranda at Otisaga Resort Hotel in Cooperstown, New York, last month, talking about the state of the game, to religion, to his health, to his late daughter, to the Minnesota Twins, to the Los Angeles Angels, to MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred. Hall of Famer Rod Carew never raised his voice, never slammed his fist on the rocking chair, but he was seething that the game he grew up loving was breaking his heart. The game has gone through so many different changes, Carew told USA Today Sports. It's not even baseball to me. I don't know what's going on with it, but they've ruined it. They're trying to get the guys to all be the same hitter, their analytics, and forcing them into trying to hit home runs instead of learning how to hit. Guys can't think for themselves. Why force them into doing things they can't do? So, the seven-time batting champion and 18-time all-star stopped watching. The commissioner has allowed too many crazy things to happen in this game, Carew said, trying to make it easier for kids. You know, like the rule of runner on second base and extra innings? That's what they used to do when I coached my girls' softball team. They turned this thing into a softball league. We have come to the point that we're letting guys that have never played the game dictate the game and ruin it. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, Keru added. I'm just trying to help these kids. No one is even trying to move runners over anymore. No one is running. No one is trying to do anything but hit home runs. 
Billy Martin, the late managerial great, be rolling over in his grave right now, seeing how the game is going today. Carew vowed that day that he would express his sentiments loud and clear to Manfred at the Hall of Fame dinner that next night. Well, as it turns out, he didn't hold back, leading the charge as the loudest voice among a handful of Hall of Famers who spoke out to Manfred, as he wrote in his newsletter. He tried to sweet-talk us. We laid into him. We asked questions he clearly didn't want to answer. He looked as if he wished there was a trap door that he could have escaped through. The bottom line is, he's not looking out for the best interests out of the game. He's looking out for what fans want or what players deserve. Certainly not what us old-timers would like to see. Manfred tries giving off the vibe that it's not his fault. Okay, then. Who's... Is it? If the commissioner of baseball doesn't have the final word, then nobody does. I think what he's saying that is he, Rob Manfred, is helpless. If so, then maybe we need someone else in that job. Or we need to create a new job. We need someone, though, because things need to change. Carol, reached his home this past week, says he knows Manfred was upset with him for publicly airing his sentiments. But Carew refuses to apologize. I don't care what Manfred says, that we should keep that in-house. I was very vocal about that, Carew says. A lot of other guys were saying that same thing, but I can take the brunt of it. I was able to speak my voice. But it doesn't help that more don't come forward and voice their opinions. They should speak up. It's no different from keeping his thoughts private about Artie Moreno announcing this past week that he was selling the Los Angeles Angels franchise. Which, if you know what's going on with the Los Angeles Angels, Los Angeles Angels, um, I don't know. It, it, it's up for sale. The fans are letting him know he's got to go, Carew said of Moreno. The Angels were doing well when Artie first came in, going through the stands and talking to people lowering beer prices at the stadium, and all of a sudden, it stopped. They only started thinking about... Uh, the only started thinking about... Uh, do I, where, where do I put the word sick in here? They only started thinking about was the bottom line, and not doing something to make sure you've got a good team on the field for the fans. I would have liked to help, but I did nothing for the Angels because as far as the alumni, we were nothing to them. The Twins, on the other hand, treat us like first class. If the Angels are interested, Carew, 77, would welcome a return to the organization as a special assistant, providing that they make some sweeping changes atop the organization. I'd definitely go back and be available to do some work if they want me, Carew says. I love living out here. I haven't done anything for the organization once manager Mike Socia. Socia? S-C-I-O-S-C-I-A. It doesn't help it's hyphenated. Took over and GM Bill Stoneman came in and left a message on my phone that my services are no longer needed. <laughs> I was doing so much for the organization. Player, hitting coach, 
special assistant and alumni ambassador for that community, and they treat me like that. Carrie would tell them that no matter how many prospects the Angels can get by trading Shuhei Otani before he's a free agent after the 2023 season, they must keep him. If he goes, then they will be in a bad state. Yep. Yes. Yep. Um, Mike Trout is not as healthy as he used to be with his back. The third baseman, Andy Rendon, is out for the year. It all falls on Otani's shoulders to keep doing the job he's been doing and put people in the seats. For now, Carey says he will keep reading the Bible every day, visit children's hospitals, and raise money for pediatric cancer research. His 26th annual Rod Carew Charity Golf Classic Tournament is Monday in honor of his late daughter, Michelle, who died from 18 at leukemia in 1996. The tournament, Carew says, has raised in excess of $5 million. I remember Michelle telling me, Daddy, if I don't make it, I want you to do this. I want you to continue to help, Carew says. I stuck to that. Let these kids realize that their dreams, find a cure for this blood disease, and give kids the opportunity to do what they want in life. I just read the articles. I was looking at paper the other day, and I opened it up, and uh, I opened up to a section, see it was page 63 of the New York Post Sundays. I opened this up on Monday, and I opened it up at like 8.45 or something like that, and I see that the the U.S. Open is happening, and it's going to be uh, you know one of Serena Williams' uh, last matches here. And then I turn on the TV, and then I'm watching it, all within like two minutes. It was crazy. I just love the serendipitous uh, opening of the pa paper, and then you're like, oh wow, there's a time. When is it? Oh now, ne literally now. Okay. Um, and I only bring that up to say that um, that feeling that like oh serendipity that was like such a everything lines up synchronicity really is more like the term i suppose it's an interesting brain feeling it's like different than deja vu but i bet you me even talking about it like that i bet you felt it a little bit maybe i don't know okay here we go Last story. But we need, uh, we need, uh, we need something else here for the last story. Ah, but instead of that, let's do the other version. 
uh, what's um, what? Not shell. That goes there. We just want the album though. Podcast amazing. I fucking love it. I'd listen to this podcast. I'd be like, what the fuck is this guy up to? What is he doing? What is he? I'll never, I'll always be surprised. Someone will get it eventually. I'm, I'm not, maybe it's not you, but someone will get it. Dragons, lizards, cobras are left homeless in England's suburbs. This is in the Wall Street Journal, um, uh, Monday, August 29, 2022. <laughs> Let me struggle to get through this. Tonbridge, England. For a country, this is by Elissa Miolene. Why not? It's close enough. <sighs> Tonebridge, England. For a country where squirrels are about as exotic as the wildlife gets, there are some unexpected visitors turning up in English shires. I've got about four bearded dragons starting uh, staring at me right now, and I've already rehomed three of them, said Charles Thompson. <laughs> Wait, excuse me? Of kids in the hall, All right? God, I'm really killing it here with the uh, <laughs> unhumorous, uh, humorous references. Um, I've got four bearded dragons staring at me right now, and I've already rehomed three of them," said Charles Thompson from his reptile store. Snakes and adders. <laughs> See, because in uh, in the UK, snakes and ladders is what you call shoots and ladders here in the United States. And I really hope the compression um, backed down off that uh, uh, very close microphone guffaw I made. Anyway, his reptile store is called Snakes and Adders, so let's continue. Where he is now rescuing animals as well as selling them. That's all in less than a month. For weeks now, there has been a steady increase in the number of owners giving up exotic pets or releasing them into the suburbs. Spiraling energy prices, in some instances double what they were a year ago, have propelled the cost of maintaining the reptiles' heated environments to levels that are pinching budgets. 
Some exotic pet owners are already making choices to scale back, and that means it's an especially busy time in the niche brigade of reptile rescuers. I can imagine people looking at their electricity bill and saying, Dear God, what can I do? Said Monty Jackson, a... Turning to page I legitimately thought I threw away the rest of the article. Um, <laughs> reptiles evicted by pet owners. Here we go. Uh, volunteer in the National Reptile Welfare in Tombridge, England. What was the rest? Of, who cares? It's okay. <laughs> Things are hardly moving at a snail's pace there. Among the new arrivals are Phoenix, an overweight orange bearded dragon, and Champagne. Or no, I'll say Champagne. A cobra whose scales shimmer under the sender's fluorescent lights. My ideal is six feet. That's quite manageable, Mr. Jackson said. This one will be up to 12 feet. That's a lot of snake. <laughs> That's a quote. 12 feet. That's a lot of snake. Hundreds of other snakes, iguanas, lizards, and frogs have been dropped off for various reasons, all watched over by Speedy. A 60-year-old tortoise who patrols the halls. As a name my turtle on a child. Speedy, who arrived in June, used to live in a garden enclosure at the center with other tortoises. But after repeated escapes, is now allowed to chase volunteers freely, often given their shoes a headbutt or two. The words speedy and gentleman don't go together, said Mr. Jackson. Unlike cats and dogs and hamsters, mine would always escape too. Unlike cats, dogs, and hamsters, reptiles need to live in special tanks equipped with heaters and high-powered lamps to replicate their natural habitats. Of course. The equipment is already pricey, and that's on top of the rising cost of insect dinners. In addition to pet ownership, I just realized I was a reptile owner growing up. I never thought about that. Interesting. Unlike cats, dogs, and hamsters, reptiles need to live in special tanks equipped with heaters and high-powered lamps to replicate their natural habitats. The equipment is already pricey, and that's on top of the rising costs of insect dinners. In addition to pet ownership, grew up in the pandemic, and some people have found it tricky to take care of pets as normal life resumes. This time last year, the National Center for Reptile Welfare, which runs on donations, was home to just under 700 orphaned reptiles. That number has shot up to 1,055, an increase that echoes rates seen by reptile shops and rescue centers across England. In Sheffield, Snakes and Adders has had to rescue more at-large reptiles in the at okay, at-large reptiles in the past two months than what is there like a top 10 most wanted list? Um uh, more at-large reptiles in the past two months than the last two years, according to Mr. Thompson. This July, for instance, they get rescued a bearded dragon from someone's garden and another from one side of the road, and more adding up to nine physical rescues in just three weeks. Well, I guess that, that 
Wow. Some residents are wondering what the Dickens is going on. Anyone missing a lizard in Sheffield? Blasted a June face, all caps, face, Facebook post on Sheffield Online, a community news site. The post said there was a, quote, a lizard running around at a store and included a photo. Is this anyone's pet? Nearly 300 people weighed in, debating what it was. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Is it a lizard or a bearded dragon? And whom to call? Wow. Look how cute it is, said another poster. Yeah, they're wonderful. Bearded dragons. Indigenous to some of the hottest parts of Australia. And one of the more unusual signs of Britain's inflation. Chris Newman, who runs the National Center for Reptile Welfare, said beardies behave more like dogs than reptiles, a trait that makes them a popular choice for reptile-loving families. Phoenix, who arrived at the center this summer, demonstrates that demeanor, though, as she scrambles on Mr. Jackson's shoulder. He does admit that she is a bit clingy when she feels insecure. It takes a four-foot-long glass vivarium, three separate light sources, and irregular supplies of insects to properly care for them. On a recent afternoon, Mr. Newman's cricket-chirping ringtone came on in the car. He tapped on the radio until a frantic voice poured from the car speakers. I've just found a terrapin, and I don't know what to do, a woman said. <laughs> Could you imagine calling someone and being like, I just found uh, a terrapin, like very specifically? Um, <laughs> incredible. She started describing the scene, the turtle, its size, how she felt, like it just didn't look natural in her northern English hometown. Don't worry, Mr. Newman assured her. We'll pick it up for you. I get calls like this all the time, she said as she tucked the phone back. He tucked the phone back in his pocket. So it's wrinkled there. Sorry. It's a physical newspaper. What can I do? Uh, not all the sinners. Reptiles are available for rehoming to tortoises. Uh, let's call it Tiny. Tiny and Betty have been there since World War II. Wow. Um, they're hanging around. While another barrel has been alive since World War I. Holy shit. Because of their age, they are, they are of the fostering market, spending their days in a hay-filled enclosure alongside two massive iguanas, Aphrodite and Jack. Mr. Jackson, the volunteer, who keeps reptiles... Who has 10 reptiles and 30 rest, uh, tarantulas at home. Oh, he has tarantulas, too. Says some reptiles, such as leopard geckos, don't actually require much electricity to keep, and that looking after a dog or cat is much more expensive, given food and veterinarian bills. Kiara uh, uh, Sib, another volunteer who has six reptiles and 15 millipedes, agrees. They're definitely a factor, but I don't think they're the biggest factor, she says. I have five other siblings who always leave their electronics on. Miss Crib isn't cutting back. In fact, that was a wrinkle. It was Miss Sib. Okay. In fact, she's doing the opposite. She took home Percy, a brown and white hognose snake, after he was given up this year. Before Percy, her dad was scared of snakes. Miss Crib said the animal was so mellow that soon made him change his mind. Within five months of adopting Percy, Miss Crib was allowed to bring home one more home, Apricot, a bright yellow royal python. Her mom fell in love with Apricot, she said, and most of her family soon followed suit. 
They are both so calm, said Ms. Cribb. They just sit and climb on us while we watch TV. The National Center for Reptile Welfare is home to 1,055 orphan pets, is located in the United Kingdom, and is accepting all donations. And now that I've covered everything with newspapers that I'm going to throw out, probably, and uh, everything else will come from the future, you know? Hmm. Yeah, that worked out.
Sound checks. We're gonna give it another shot here. Try this out. See how it sounds. Ooh, something like this. What a song about it. Wanna hear it? Here you go. <laughs> the Senator don't love no drug program. You've been a dopehead for 30 years. <laughs>
killer as me.
Thanks. It was really fun.